good morning. Thank you for joining us. Kids, I want you to sit tight for a second. I want you to remain in the service for a few minutes. Um, and kids, this is a question for you. Raise your hand if you were at VBS this summer. Who was there? Okay. Now, who remembers when Miss Rika got slimed? Anybody? Anybody remember that? Mr. AJ got slimed. I got slimed too. Does anybody remember why that happened? Anybody can call it out. Go ahead, Karis. What happened? That's right. So what Karis told you is that we raised some money for a project this summer through our VBS program. And uh, that project was uh, to fund some ministry in Romania and Ukraine through Moms of Preschoolers led by Nadia Hira. And Emmy and Nadia are here. And I'm going to invite them to come up on stage. So kids, I'm going to ask you to sit tight as Emmy and Nadia come up, and they tell us a little bit about what's going on in Romania and, um, and also how that offering was used to fund ongoing ministry. So I'm going to give them each a mic. Yeah, give them a hand as they come on up. You can come up this way. Uh, some of you may know we have uh, supported Emmy and Nadia for a number of years in their ministry through Geneza Church inclusion of Hoka in Romania. These are also Emmanuel's parents. Many of you knew Emmanuel were here, was here with us for two years. So I'm going to give them, there's some pictures of the MOPS ministry that will be scrolling behind them, but I'll let them describe. Thank you so much. Uh, I once heard uh, this quote, great grace and small gifts are better than great gifts and no grace. And being here, I, I want to testify that uh, I've seen um, great grace and great gifts uh, you showed and you pulled upon us. And I want to thank you. I, I want to thank God for uh, knowing this uh, church for more than probably eight years now. So I'm so thankful for all the blessing God uh, gave us through you, and I'm here to say that uh, I'm, I'm so blessed knowing you, I'm so blessed uh, being in partnership with you, so I'm, I'm thrilled to see uh, the, the potential God uh, opens when two churches or more churches stay together and make his work, so may God bless you. I want to uh, let Nadia, my wife, to say something more about her ministry and of course I want to be in touch with you and I'm so glad to see so many faces and I want to thank you again for supporting our ministry. Thank you. Good morning. Um, <laughs> I, I need to translate it. <laughs> Uh, implicarea în viața lui Emanuel, implicarea spirituală în viața I lui Emanuel. I want to thank you, uh, to, to give a special thanks for uh, being involved in Emanuel's life. A fost o mare binecuvântare pentru el și pentru noi. It was a great blessing for him and for us. Și asta am văzut acum. And now we are seeing this here. Thank you very much. Mulțumesc uh, foarte mult. <laughs> okay. You'll learn some Romanian. <laughs> uh, sunt aici, suntem aici pentru 
uh, a participat la o conferință MomCom în Chicago, uh, conferință internațională MomCom. I'm here uh, in, in the US for the first time, but I will be participating in a conference in Chicago for MOPS. Uh, sunt implic Mother of preschoolers. <laughs> okay, so this is a big, uh, yeah, ministry uh, started here in the U.S. In ultimii doi ani, această lucrare s-a dezvoltat foarte mult în orașul nostru, în Cluj-Napoca. In the last two years, this ministry developed so wonderful in our our uh, city, Cluj-Napoca, in Romania. Iar în ultimul an în România și în Ucraina. And in the last year uh, it grew up so big in Romania and in other countries. Deci sunt implicată în patru nivele. I am involved in this ministry in four levels. Coordonez un grup mic de mame care sunt se află în perioada maternității în biserica noastră. I am leading a group in our church uh, with most of the mothers who have preschoolers. Iar rugăciunea noastră este ca acest grup să fie un loc în care multe mame care trec prin perioada maternității să găsească acel echilibru spiritual și emoțional. Our prayer for this group is that more and more mothers who have little children will come and find a good place where they can find a good balance spiritual and emotional. La nivelul orașului Cluj-Napoca. The second level is uh, my involved, involving in uh, the city. I, yeah, okay. Conduc organizația și organizăm. I lead a, an organization called Mops Cluj. Uh, organizăm conferințe pentru mame și uh, întâlniri pentru coordonatoarele celor 15 grupe Mops din 15 biserici. And as uh, Leader, me and other uh, women are involving in uh, doing some conferences for the leaders of those 15 groups and from 15 different churches in Cluj who has this ministry, who have this ministry. Iar rugăciunea noastră este ca Domnul să pună pe inima cât mai multor mame acea dragoste pentru alte mame. So our prayer for, for this ministry is that God will put on the hearts of many, many mothers, uh, love for other mothers who reach out and bring them in these groups. La noastre, the third level, uh, it's our country. Uh, mai multe orașe, I'm traveling in different cities in the country a lucrare to, a sprijini, uh, unor grupe mobs to present this ministry orașe. and help uh, other people to start this ministry in their cities. Yes. Este ca să aibă cât mai multe Our prayer <laughs> for this is that Romania will have more and more groups like this locuri în care mamele să întâlnească alte mame care să-și împărtășească so, to, to be places that mothers will meet other mothers who can share their life. Frământările cât și bucurile. Yeah, the struggles and joys. În urmă cu un an am călătorit pentru prima dată în Ucraina. And we arrived to the fourth level in the last year I, I 
was for the first time in Ukraine. Și bineînțeles că am dus și lucrarea mops cu noi. And of course we brought mops with us in Ukraine. Iar acum în Cernăuț, cel mai mare oraș din apropierea graniței cu România. And now in Chernivtsi, which is the biggest city close to the border with Romania. Sunt șapte grupe mops. There are seven mops groups. Uh, iar în urmă cu o lună am um, organizat prima conferință MOPS în Cernăuți, la care au participat în jur de 80 de mame, where there were more than, uh, 80 uh, iar suportul dumneavoastră financiar, o parte din suportul dumneavoastră financiar al copiilor, and part of the support for this ministry was what you raised. Uh, your, your children, right. A creat un timp uh, extraordinar pentru copii, pentru ca mamele să poată să stea liniștite la întâlnire. Yeah. Some children benefited also for this gift because they had a special time and letting them, their mothers to have their special time with the other mothers. Uh, iar cealaltă parte de, uh, din bani adunați. And the other part of what you raised Uh, oferă uh, un timp special copilașilor Help. în timpul întâlnirilor mops. Yeah, helps uh, children uh, yeah, continue. Pentru ca mamele să poată să se bucure yeah. în intimitatea lor. Uh, help uh, mothers to have their own time and children have their own time too. So Mulțumim foarte mult We want to thank you so much you children that you you were so generous. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, well, kids, you guys can be dismissed to your time of worship upstairs. And if you're visiting with us, if you haven't checked them in already, you can check them in um, now by heading out to the lobby. Um, for everybody else, we have some things going on in the life of the church to be aware of. Um, I think it's really cool to, I mean, let me just comment on Emmy and Nadia for a minute there. Um, who knew um, more than 30 years ago when we began a relationship with one missionary that was going to Romania that um, all these years later our kids would be raising money to do ministry to children and to young moms in a war-torn country in, in Ukraine, that the ministry would actually go beyond the missionary that we sent many years ago to other ministers that he had relationship with and trained in his time there, and now expanding across the border into Ukraine in a time of great suffering and great displacement. These ministries are so important in Ukraine right now because of people that are displaced from their homes that were in another part of Ukraine before the war and now um, are closer to the border and um, God is multiplying ministry there. So it's an exciting um, reminder that we are a global body. We are a, a family um, with representatives from every nation, tongue, and tribe scattered in nations throughout the world. Same goals, same ministry that we're working towards together. Um, a few things going on in the life of the church. We do have a men's ministry breakfast um, this Saturday. You can sign up for that um, on the church app. And then this Sunday, a week from today, we'll have our congregational meeting complete with ice cream and ministry reports. And I'll draw your attention. One of the things you might um, 
notice from time to time is that in the, in the back of the bulletin, there's some financial information. And it's important to us as, as elders, as leaders, to communicate to you our, our financial um, status as a church. So that's updated in there weekly. Uh, we're going to share some more information about that Sunday night. And so if you, if you look at those numbers, you're not sure exactly how to follow those, what those mean. We want to be really, really open and really um, transparent about how we spend money at Fellowship Bible Church. And we want you to know that things like I said before, 22% goes overseas to fund uh, ministries like Emmy and Nadia's and what, what, what they're doing overseas. And so you'll he- that's the sort of thing you'll hear. You'll hear more about youth ministry, kids ministry, worship, men's ministry, all that sort of stuff. But you also hear just more of the nuts and bolts of what goes on uh, financially behind the scenes. We have another pickleball night. Um, the first one, if any of y'all par- participated in the first pickleball activity, it was really well attended, and it was enough to say, like, this is something fun for church people to do together, to get to connected, to build relationships. And so we planned another night at Lakeshore, and um, uh, you can s- sign up for, the, uh, for that in the church app, as well as the uh, men's ministry breakfast is in the church app. It's a church center app. Ask a staff member if you don't know how to do that. Um, but all those things are, are important. And then another thing that we've had signups for in the church app, and I'm going to ask Steve Fain to, to come up here and to tell us about it. We've had a couple of videos over the last few weeks about this Better Man initiative for men. And Steve's going to tell us a little bit more. Thank you, Tim. Uh, as many of you know, my name is Steve Fain, and I'm an elder here at the church. And I would like to talk to the men in the group, the husbands and the fathers. And the first question, this is really serious. How many of you have ever received, either orally or on paper, a honeydew list? Now, come on now, let's see it. Don't be shy, don't be shy. Uh, I mean, I have, and it's a joy for us to, to serve our home and our families through that. But what do you think, when you look down at this list, or you hear it verbally, and on it is a home repair item? Either, either a machine, mechanical, a lawnmower, uh, uh, or electrical, or just structural. Well, I hope you say, as you look down at that, or hear it, this is great. I've really wanted to do this, I'm really good at it, and I have a high level of confidence that I can do this well. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I will say I have honestly never said that. I, I cannot say that in all truth or honesty. When I grew up, uh, I never saw my father with a tool in his hand. Never. In fact, and when I grew up, I married at age 32, and before that, I never owned a tool. Now, that sounds strange to some of you, um, but it's true. I never had the aptitude or the training or the experience to do things that many of you, many of you men, just comes to you naturally. I'll tell you a short uh, incident that happened many years ago that sort of says it, says it all. Uh, one Saturday, uh, and I tried when my children were growing up to teach them what I did not know when I was that age. And so uh, we tried to do things together. 
And one Saturday morning, uh, <clears throat> I was trying to repair a handle on the refrigerator door. And so I had a stool set up, and I was facing the, uh, the, doorway, the door, and I asked Joseph to come in to help me. Uh, he was eight or nine at that time. So I was working with it, and he was there, and we had all our tools out. And I, I, I happened to notice that he sort of slipped away, but I was really focused on what I was doing. And lo and behold, when he slipped away, he walked over to Dee and said, Mom, could you distract Dad where I can get this done? <laughs> um, but, you know, Beverly and I, after 45 years of marriage, 46 in September, we've come to a great balance in this. You'll be interested in this. Uh, my skills have slightly improved. Her expectations have been drastically lowered. And we found a good handyman in the neighborhood. Uh, but in all seriousness, in my early age of marriage, and I found that I had, I, I had other deficits that were far, far greater and more impactful than the lack of mechanical skills. <clears throat> I found out that uh, I didn't have the knowledge or skill to, to do the things that I was called upon to do. You know, as a young married, you know, it's full of great joy and excitement and great challenges, isn't it? <clears throat> I was woefully unprepared to do the things that a husband and father needed to do. Um, <clears throat> I felt like, as maybe you have, I, I felt there were needs everywhere, constant needs for my attention, and I couldn't handle them all. My, my big question of that period in my life, what in the world do I do now? How do I respond to this situation? I've tried everything, and it didn't seem to work. What do I do next? <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm an attorney, and it took me <clears throat> three years of law school plus four years in undergraduate, <clears throat> prepared to be an attorney. Well, I calculated, and I have probably spent, probably spent maybe three hours getting ready and prepared for marriage and raising children. Now think about that. Um, <laughs> I thought, you know, well, Dave and I loved one another. We're pretty smart. We, we, we can figure this thing out, Right? Sometimes not so much. But <clears throat> I had a great deal to learn. And I'll tell you some of the things I did not know. I didn't know how to really love my wife. I didn't know how to communicate effectively and lovingly with her. I didn't know how my words spoken to my children impacted their, will impact their entire lives. I didn't know how much my relationship with my father impacted my relationship with my own children. So I began to <clears throat> fervently and in a panic try to learn as much as I could to fill the void that was in my life of knowledge and know-how. So remembering all those struggles that I went through, it's my joy to present to you a program called Better Man. And 
it gives you fellows, you younger fellows, a chance to learn what I wish I had known when I was your age. And uh, uh, the, meet, yeah, the times are up here. It's on Tuesday evening. We start at 6 and go to 8. And Beeb is we're going to prepare a meal, and uh, Beeb uh, will prepare that. That'll, that ought to get a big draw if you've ever tasted her banana pudding, and we'll, we'll have that <laughs> as much as we can. Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. to about 7.30. Let me tell you some of the things we're going to look at. And I'm going to read them to make sure I get them all. We're going to look at the biblical definition of manhood. You know, the world is really confused about what a real man is. We're going to look at the four life-giving principles of real men. How a biblical man will bring life to you and to your families. How to grow in your walk with Christ. Why a dad is so important to his children and what they need from us as a father. We're going to learn about what, is your, what in your past undercuts your ability to be a man today. How to face the challenges you face as you attempt to be a godly man. Now you wives will like this next one. What you, we're going to learn what your wife needs to be happy and fulfilled and how to meet those needs and how to excel at the work God has given you and more. It's a great time to get together, to get to know men. We'll have tables, uh, six to eight at a table. So you, you will enjoy it. You'll be blessed by it. You'll learn from it. And your family and your home will be blessed if you come. So I pray that you will, and I hope to see you there. And if you want to sign up, you can do it through the church app, as was mentioned. Call me or call the office. Uh, also, if you have any additional questions, I'll be down front uh, after the service. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. And I'll, I'll add just for... Uh, you know, my, my opinion, um, I think it's a great program. I think you've seen some testimonies if you've been here the last few weeks from other guys that have gone through it, what they've learned, how they've grown and changed through it. Um, so, man, I'd really encourage you to consider. And I'll encourage also just to add some clarity that the Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, that's two different options for time. And so it's not a, a both, it's either or um, with two different pairs of guys leading uh, one pair on Tuesday nights, one pair on Wednesday mornings. Um, we're going to turn to Proverbs. Um, as you came in, we had the notes sheets for this sermon on Proverbs. If you didn't get one of those, raise your hand. I've got some assistants in the back of the room that are coming around, passing out some notes for you. Um, I know it's been a little bit different as I've done this the last few weeks, but the journey through Proverbs is so topical that we're, we're really just finding verses on different themes that are spread out throughout Proverbs. So it's a lot to sort of capture, and so I hope those notes help you. Uh, today we're talking about parenting. And, and let me tell you a little bit about, I, I think we ran out, so they're getting some more, um, and we'll get those. Hey, girls, why don't y'all wait? Because she's going to go get more. Um, as we talk about parenting, I was in a phone conversation with somebody this week 
that was talking about the adoption of a middle school student and the pressure that this family was feeling as they were adopting a middle schooler, an older child. And I just sort of said, just offhanded, made this comment. I said, well, yeah, I mean, if you adopt a 12-year-old, that means that they're two-thirds of the way to 18. And that means that they're two-thirds of the way out of their house and to adulthood. And then I said that, just thinking about somebody else's family, and then I just sort of stopped in my words, and I thought, I have an 11-year-old. Like, that's actually really scary to think about, that I have 18 years with this young person living in my home until they reach adulthood, reach high school graduation, and she's, my oldest is 11, and those 11 years went really quick, and I can only imagine how fast the next seven, the next 11 go, and so it's this recognition that time is short, and the parenting task is so important, it, it, it's so essential to invest and invest wisely in parenting as, as an endeavor that we all are faced with parents as this responsibility of these young lives to shepherd, lead, and direct. But here's the problem. I'm opening up to the scriptures. I'm trying to faithfully present to you what the scriptures say on a specific topic that's huge in the book of Proverbs. And I've already lost half the room or more. Because the truth of it is, some of you are not parents. Maybe some of you are children. There's young people in here. There's high school students, college students, young singles that aren't thinking about parenting right now. Or there's those of you that have passed on the parenting to the next generation. There's those of you that have either never had children or have had your children. Your children are out of their home. They have their own children, and parenting is now their responsibility. And you support, sure, but it's different. So how do we take this topic of parenting and embrace it across a diverse body of ages, of situations, of, of different contexts that we're talking to this morning? I was this summer with a friend of mine. He was giving me a tour around his church, and it's a larger church, and they have in huge words in their lobby this phrase, whoever wants the next generation most will get them. And it's this phrase that sort of shapes what they do in their outreach ministry, shapes what they do in their um, internal discipleship ministry, and it reminds the whole church what we are here for is to capture the hearts and minds of the next generation and to point them on towards maturity in Christ, towards discipleship and following Jesus. So if you're a child in the room this morning and you're not thinking about being a parent, I want you to hear and receive the words of how essential, how important it is to follow your parents' instruction. And I want you to give grace to your parents and help your parents in that journey. If you're a grandparent this morning, and maybe a parenting sermon does one of two things for you. Either you are listening to the parenting sermon because you're thinking, I need something to fix my adult children because they have no idea what they're doing with my grandkids. So there's some of you grandparents that are listening with those type of ears. But then the harder one, there's some grandparents that are listening, and this is a heavy subject, because your adult children, in a more serious way, aren't where you want them to be. 
and you have questions, you have regrets, you have doubts about the way you did it, the way you parented your own children, and so things like this can be hard to talk about. I'd really like to encourage you this morning to not think about the past and past regrets and, and past brokenness, but to trust Christ for the future. Let's be future directed in our thoughts on parenting and think through how any person in this room, child, grandparent, single, can be a part of an intentional effort in prayer and in action to capture the hearts and minds of the next generation. Anyone that's been a parent in this room knows it can be excruciating. It's a ton of fun, lots of joy, lots of unexpected joy. Lots of challenges, lots of heartache. Somebody said once that once you become a parent, you will never be more happy than your least happy child because you tend to embrace the emotions that your children, the suffering that your children face is something that, that, that touches you in a really powerful way. Wherever you are as we approach parenting this morning, I want us, and this is a call from a pastor shepherd to a congregation, a group of people, a spiritual family, we need to be in this fight together because the world wants our children really bad. And the enemy is constantly working, scheming, plotting in the world to turn our children away from Christ and to turn our children away from us, to break families apart, to cause dissension in, in uh, literal physical families, but also in spiritual families, in churches. This is a call towards togetherness. This is a call towards fellowship together. And it's a call to really love and care for the next generation. So I'd really call each of you to ask the Holy Spirit today to help you apply these words, to help convict your heart. Because maybe it's encouraging a young mom. Maybe it's encouraging a young dad. Maybe it's jumping into our kids' ministry as a servant somewhere. Maybe it's a, a youth leader for middle schoolers and high schoolers because no parents know what to do with middle schoolers and high schoolers some days, right? Maybe it's a nursery worker because no parents are perfectly patient and great with, with babies at all times. Everybody needs a little bit of backup. There's something for any of us to do, whether it's prayer, support, encouragement, or service to serve the next generation. But this fight that we're talking about, it's a real fight. So fight for the next generation, fight for our children. And if you are parents of older children, don't, don't give up. There's still time, there's still hope. Let's see what, we, what scripture leads us to recapture for this journey ahead. Okay, now we have some more copies in the back of the room. Look at that. So you can raise your hands again. My crew is restocked with more copies of the notes. Um, we'll go at this uh, pretty simply. There's one core idea here. And the core idea is that parents train children. Now here's what I'll tell you about that phrase, parents train children. Whether you do it intentionally, unintentionally, whether it's systematic or haphazard, whether you know you're doing it or not, if you are a parent and you have children, you're training them in something. You're doing something with those children and you're moving them in a direction because kids come in ready to learn, ready to be directed. 
And you and your efforts, or even lack of efforts, are going to lead and direct them in one, in one direction or another. The, the journey of faith, the growth of faith in a young person or in an adult person, the journey of faith is both caught and taught. We have to be strategic in our thinking and in our teaching. And we got to be really disciplined and careful in our emotions, reactions as well. Because as much as we want to teach and train, what we pattern sometimes leaves a, a larger, more lasting effect than what we teach. So we'll jump into the scriptures and we'll continue to reflect on this idea that parents train children. Point number one, parents train children, so be intentional. How many times? I have no idea. For the last few months, we've been, we've been going through the book of Proverbs. I have no idea how many times I've repeated to you some variation of this idea that we have to know and realize that the book of Proverbs is not promises. You've heard me say that, right? The book of Proverbs, Proverbs are not promises. They're probabilities and principles. And there's a lot of pro going on there, right? Proverbs are not promises. There's probabilities and there's principles. And the mistake we make in interpreting the book of Proverbs, we interpret the book of Proverbs as if they're promises, and then we get ourselves in trouble. It, it leads to some heartache. It leads to some shaking your fists at God. God, I did what you told me to do, and your promise didn't come true. The book of Proverbs isn't necessarily do this, and then I, God Almighty, promise if you do this, then this will happen. That's not the tone of the book of Proverbs. It's not the way the literature of the book of Proverbs is written. It's more of, this is wisdom for practical application in life. If you do things this way, the most likely result will be this. More often than not, this will happen. But there are exceptions, and the sinful, crazy world that we live in throws all sorts of curveballs into that scenario. But it doesn't mean we don't pursue wisdom. We still do the thing that makes sense, even when the world that doesn't make sense often collides and throws our trajectory off. All of that, however many times I've done that, where I've said, not promises, but probabilities, all of that was building to this moment and this verse. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Brothers and sisters, that is not a promise. That is a probability. That is a principle. This is the one, this is the proverb that causes so much heartache, so much hurt, so much anger, so much of that shaking your fist at God. God, I thought this was, I thought I was doing the right thing. I did what I thought I was supposed to, but the result is not what you, God, the result is not what you promised. So what gives? Did I do it wrong, or is your promise just not true? This is a beautiful statement. It's a helpful principle. It's a wonderful probability. But you do not control the spiritual, eternal destiny of your child all by yourself. That's just, that's just the truth. And so the principle is, 
Parents, be intentional. Train your child. Discipline your child. Show the child Jesus. Show them grace. Show them forgiveness of sin. Show them the character that God honors. But know that if that child does depart, it's not because God's word is broken. It's not because necessarily you are culpable and you did everything the wrong way. Now, do parents make mistakes? Sure. One of the the best things we need to remember as parents is that our parents made mistakes and their parents made mistakes and will make mistakes and our kids who think they know so much now, they'll make mistakes when they're parents as well. It's just a reality. Sinful people make mistakes. And our goal is, is to get better, to follow Christ, to walk in wisdom and honor Christ, not to be perfect in every parental action that we take. So did you make a mistake? Yes, you did make a mistake as a parent. I'm sure you did. Is that why your child has walked away? I I don't know. Because that child's relationship with God is foundationally their relationship with God, not yours. You You don't save your children. God saves your children. Your children don't confess their sin and put their faith in you for their salvation. They confess their sin and they put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. And so this is where this this probability promise dynamic is so important that the truth of what this scripture is trying to tell us is parents, be intentional. You cannot afford to be haphazard and lazy in your parenting. You must be intentional. As I said, I've got one that's two-thirds of the way to adulthood. A little bit, close to two-thirds. And and that is sort of helps me realize, like, okay. In, I've, I've been a parent for 11 years. In 11 more years, I'll be a parent of three adults. That's crazy. That's bananas. But that's how fast it goes. And so you can't afford to waste your time and not be intentional. We should train our children. But there's a verse that I don't think is, that I left off of your sheet that I want to, it's one of my favorite verses on parenting. It's Psalm 127.4. You can, you can turn there if you like. Psalm 127.4 says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And that's that, the, the scripture from which you get this idea of having a, a quiver full of children. But there's a really beautiful illustration, that, and the illustration brings a principle that helps us understand why Proverbs 22.6 isn't necessarily a promise that you can take to the bank, but a probability and a principle that you need to learn. How many of you have ever taken an arrow and ran across the field with the arrow and just jammed it into the target? That's nonsense. That's not how an arrow works. The illustration in Psalm 127.4 is to point, to direct, and to let go. And to do the best you can to, to get the trajectory right, to get the right level of strength behind it, and to send it in the right direction. But there's all sorts of other factors that can come into play as that arrow is shooting through the air. That part of parenting, here's you parents of littles, this is what you need to know, and it hurts sometimes to think about it this way. But parenting is a long journey of letting go. Because that's the goal, right? There are days that that sounds great because you don't want to hold on to them forever. You don't want to have to feed them forever. 
You don't want to have to bathe him forever. But then there's other moments that you think, I just, I don't think I ever want to let this beautiful little child go. But that's what parenting is. It's a long discipline, a long journey in eventually letting go. Making sure you're intentional in the direction, making sure you're aiming carefully, pulling the string back, and like an arrow, sending that child out into the world, knowing that the wind is going to come and try to knock them off that other forces are going to come and try to get them off of the trajectory. But your goal is to be disciplined, is to be intentional. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. Uh, we, we are primarily in the book of Proverbs, looking at themes from the book of Proverbs, but I reserve the right to bring in a couple of New Testament verses to help us frame this in light of who Jesus is and to keep the gospel in mind. Ephesians 6, 4 is a verse that many of us have probably heard. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Steve was up here a few minutes ago telling us that we need training. We need direction as fathers in how to do this. We can't just assume that best intentions are going to deliver our children to a place of maturity in Christ. We need training. We need discipline because we've got to Train them with discipline. And you cannot take somebody to a place that you've never been yourself. When you think of maturity, when you think of, of Christian maturity, of godliness, of fellowship with Jesus, of being connected with the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us, but we as Christians are really good at stuffing down and not listening to the Holy Spirit. When you think about those things, what do you want your children to look like? What do you want your grandchildren to look like? How do you get them there? I think most parents have this idea of, I want my kids to be even better than I was. I want my kids to, and you can think about that in worldly terms or in spiritual terms. I want my kids to have more successful careers. I want them to have, to have um, more money, more, more prestige, more honor, whatever. That's that's the worldly way of thinking, and some Christians think some of those things too, and that's okay. But also, from a spiritual standpoint, I want my kids to have a closer walk with Jesus than I do. I want my kids to have a healthier marriage than I do. I want my kids to have a healthier relationship with their kids and their extended family than I do. Well, what's the way to work towards that goal? Do everything in your power to fix what you can if you want your kids to have a deeper relationship with Jesus than you do, then maybe make the goal a deeper relationship with Jesus than I do now, and so I'm going to pursue Christ at a deeper level and show them what that could look like. And if you have some regrets of saying, I, I haven't done this enough, I haven't been intentional enough, don't think about what woulda, coulda, shoulda happened. Change it now, even if your kids are out of the home. What, what could that look like? Even if your kids are out of the home and you became intentional today to walk deeper with Jesus, do you think your kids could tell? It may take a long time. They probably wouldn't at first if they're out of the home. But they may start to respect over years the moves that you make, the maturity that you gain, the way that you grow. It's been said before that smartphones make dumb people. And it's true. And the thing, the principle I just gave you, you can't take somebody somewhere that you've never been. Smartphones trick you into thinking you can. 
Because smartphones make dumb people and GPSs make lazy people. Because you don't have to know where you're going as long as your GPS knows where you're going. And see, a lot of times we as parents do stuff like that. We've never been there before, but the internet has the answer. Or we've never been there before, but the church. There's somebody at the church who can really mentor them. There's somebody at the church who can disciple them. So I don't know how to teach them how to read the Bible or pray or be in deeper connection with Jesus. But maybe Rika does. Maybe AJ does. Maybe somebody at the church can help them go, go deeper. And listen, I can tell you right now, Rika, AJ, lo would love to walk with your kids on that journey. But what your kids need more than the spiritual maturity of outside the family is the spiritual maturity and journey of somebody inside the family. So don't treat your Christian life and your parenting like a GPS of, I don't know how to get my kid where they need to be, but I'm going to find somebody else that can take them there. No, pro, uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, ultimately you're responsible. Mothers, you have a role in that too. God has ordained for fathers to be the, the spiritual responsible parties over the household, but mothers, you are there just as much involved in the teaching and training of the children. Father is given the spiritual authority and responsibility over it, but mother often does more day-to-day, hands-on interaction with the kids, and that's okay. Both parties, husband and wife together, you need to invest in your children and invest spiritually. That means discipline, instruction of the Lord. So we'll go on. Parents train children, so be intentional, number one. Number two, parents train children, so be disciplined. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You've probably heard the term, spare the rod, spoil the child. You can Google it. It's not in the Bible. But that phrase is an attempted summation of Proverbs 13, 24, what I just read. If you spare the rod, you don't love your son. If you withhold discipline, you don't love your son. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Here's something that every parent grapples with at one point or another. Your kids did not come into the world and enter into your family morally neutral. They didn't. They came as inheritors of a sin nature. They came selfish. They came with their, their first desire to be self-preservation and pleasure-seeking. That's how a young child enters into the world. Without parents, without training in any sense, children do not become morally good and are not morally pure from the beginning. We were all born into sin and carry into our lives a sin nature. That's what 2215 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Kids don't normally just bend towards wisdom. You have to teach them something. You have to discipline them. Kids don't naturally know how to avoid things that hurt them. You have to show them. Sometimes they learn by falling. Sometimes they learn by you guiding them. And so when children are prone towards destructive behaviors or towards behaviors that are dishonoring to God, they need discipline. And this is a hard one for us. 
because the balance of that is so hard. Nobody wants to be a frou-frou parent that somebody else used that language with me today, so I'm going to steal it. Nobody wants to be a frou-frou parent that never disciplines their kids. But nobody wants to be an angry parent that's just always on their kids and authoritarian and controlling. So how do we find that right balance? I'm going to try to to describe it with a couple key terms here. I want you to think about what a child-centered home looks like, what a parent-centered home looks like, and what a God-centered home looks like. A child-centered home, maybe, maybe that's sort of the, what's in vogue in, in today's world in a lot of ways. You, you want to let your kids be their own person. You want to let them sort of dictate what they want. You want to hear from your kids. You don't want to be too controlling. You want your kids to have autonomy. They make their own decisions. They make their own mistakes. So you can't be too heavy-handed in discipline and direction because you want that child to be autonomous and be, be who they are. The sort of self-actualization mode of, I want my kid to be all that he can be, and therefore, I'm going to just gently direct him and, and push him. I'm not going to discipline him. I'm not going to be hard on him. I'm going to let him decide. And then there's the parent-centered that's a little bit more control-oriented. This is what this family looks like. Cheneys don't do this. Cheneys do that. We don't, we don't do these things. That's not representative of who you are as a family. Or this is the sort of parent that is so worried about their reputation and how the child reflects my reputation. And so, therefore, you must do this so that I look good. There's, the child-centered family is all about autonomy. The child's at the center. Who the child is is what matters most. The parent-centered philosophy is all about control. I need, as a parent, to make sure my kids go the way I want them to be. And some of that sounds biblical. You can sort of twist that a little bit. You can say, my need for control is actually training up a child in the way he should go. But, but God-centered parenting reflects who God is, who is holy, just, also forgiving and full of grace. And God, in his interactions with us, is not just about what we do, but now God uses the illustration for Christians that he is an adoptive father who loves us, who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. God loves to use family connection imagery in his relationship with Christians. So what if, what matters most is not control, but connection. But that's not all there is. What if the problem over here of autonomy, the remedy for that is not autonomy, but authority? So we don't need a parenting philosophy that's all about the autonomy of the child. We don't need a parenting philosophy that's all about making sure the parents are in control. Better words are parents need to be well connected to the child in a loving relationship where they can connect love, serve, and direct maintaining authority. There's no way around it. Here, when God uses throughout Old and New Testament this father-child imagery to describe his relationship with Israel first and in, with the church second, what God is telling us is that the family is important in understanding his relationship to people. And what he does is he puts a whole lot of pressure on human fathers to not mess it up. Because what's a really easy way to mess up a kid's view of God? Tell them that God is their father, and then their human father's a jerk. 
And that illustration just doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't make sense for that child with an angry, vindictive, controlling father who is told, actually, fathers are loving and you can trust God as your father because he's so loving. The picture doesn't, doesn't make sense. But that's where we have to not just give up on the picture, but embrace a better version of the picture. Work towards the connection of a loving father patterned with the authority of a judge, of someone who is a holy God who does reward those who are in Christ and send sinners to hell. That's what the authority does. And so parents, your kids will learn about God's authority from you. They will learn how to submit to authority, whether it's God's authority, uh, classroom authority from a teacher, governing authorities from, from government and state leaders, or parental authority. You are the one that teaches a child why authority matters and how to submit to it. And when an authority is, is heavy-handed and when an authority can show grace. So you've got, you've got to train that child in authority. And that involves discipline. And so train your children to be connected to their loving parents, but also respect authority of loving parents in order to build connection under authority with a loving God. That's the strategy. That's what the scriptures are trying to lead us towards. Don't let your kid just do whatever he wants. Don't let her get whatever she wants because that will lead to an undisciplined person who is still living in the folly of their childhood and not reaching adult maturity. So parents train children. Be intentional, be disciplined, and being disciplined means using discipline to correct, train, and motivate a child. Number three, Parents train children, so be godly. And believe it or not, this is the one that is the most central. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Do you know that your children's, your, your daughters, your sons' sense of peace in a troubled world is directly related to your relationship with God. That's what Proverbs 14.26 is telling us. When, when the world goes crazy, when everything conceivable that's bad can happen in this fallen, sinful world that we live in, your kids will feel uneasy if you're uneasy. And your kids will feel peace with God and feel like they can trust a loving God who is sitting on the throne if you fear God. Remember the illustration we gave for fearing God a few weeks ago was the same thing we talked about with, with family. God's at the center. So everything you do relates to who God is and keeping him at the center. Proverbs 27. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Your children will benefit from your spiritual depth, character, and maturity. And so keep God at the center of your lives and your parents or in your children will notice. Sometimes we focus so much on teaching our kids to do certain things. We emphasize behavior and wanting our children to do these things. These, maybe it's spiritual discipline. Maybe it's chores around the home. Maybe it's homework. But do these activities. And we shape actions rather than shaping the heart. How do you shape the heart? You demonstrate a heart that loves Jesus heart that trusts Jesus. 
a heart that is concerned for the crazy stuff in the world, but doesn't fear the insanity of the world because you fear Christ and you obey him and you know that one day all that is wrong will be made right and the righteous will enter into his eternal kingdom. Keeping the big picture in mind, training your children for godliness means you have to go there yourself. You have to have some picture of what godliness and maturity looks like yourself. Hebrews 12, 5 and 7. Parents train children, so learn discipline. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So it's point number four. Parents train children to learn discipline. That Hebrews passage, why I included it, is if you're going to teach your children how to respond to correction and discipline, you have to do it yourself too. If you're going to teach your children what it means to be corrected and respond in conviction of sin and grow, then you have to learn how you can respond to the failures in your own life. The hardest thing to do for me as a parent, maybe you guys are better than me, but the hardest thing for me to do as a parent is to walk out of a room and recognizing that one of my children has done something disobedient, wrong, stupid, and then I did something even more stupid in response. Because let's go back to Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That verse doesn't get put in the Bible unless it's a problem, right? Fathers, that verse is for us. Because one of the things that we're prone to is to respond in anger to our children. And all that does is provoke their angry response. And there are times when I've looked at the, at the face of one of my angry children and recognized, I did that. That one's on me. Yeah, they were disobedient. They were irresponsible. They did, they did something wrong. But one of the hard parts about raising children is it reveals something about our own hearts. It reveals our own selfish motivations. It reveals that sometimes we really do want control over connection in our family because sometimes we just want them to be quiet and do what they're supposed to do, right? It happens to all of us. And so what do we as parents need to embrace in that moment? That that angry face of my child staring back at me, the Holy Spirit is convicting me of my sin because I recognize what I have done to make that child angry. So I actually hurt my child in my anger and impatience. And so, how am I going to teach her, him, to respond to discipline if I can't in that moment feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, name what I've done wrong and call sin a sin, call weakness weakness, call failure failure, and say I was wrong. I did this. You were wrong too, but I was wrong in my reaction. And there's a place as parents where offering forgiveness to children and asking forgiveness 
and using the language of apology and confession of sins for where we have sinned against our children is a powerful, powerful demonstration of the gospel. And your time with your children is short, so embrace it. Now, what if you're a grandparent and you think, I don't know how to do that anymore? How could you invest in your children and in your grandchildren even more by actually acknowledging where you may have fallen short? Not in a way that just downs yourself and beats yourself up, but in a way that could lead to their repentance, to their growth. I'm going to close it this way, okay? We have lots of principles in Scripture, and there's so many more from both the book of Proverbs and from all throughout the Scriptures that could show us more and more about who Christ is and what he desires from us. But in this room, we recognize there's parents in the thick of it, there's children that don't know what they're supposed to do with this message, there's grandparents, there's singles that have never had children, and you're all thinking, what do we do now? Here's the principle that that is true for everyone here. God is a God of both loving connection and sovereign authority. He is both the God who forgives and the God who punishes. He is the God who rewards and the God who is keeping an account of our sins until, until we come to the Lord's table and we recognize that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, came as a perfectly obedient child, never having failed his father, and yet took on the sins of the rebellious children so that we might in him become righteous obedient children because his blood was shed for us at the cross so i'm going to ask the band to come forward i'm going to ask those that are helping to serve communion come forward and i'm going to ask you to reflect on this and say maybe you've learned some principles to help you go deeper in your parenting be more intentional or maybe you've just had your heart convicted about what the gospel really says about your relationship to your heavenly father that maybe the right step is to go and talk to your children, or maybe the right step is to go to your knees and to talk to God and to ask God for forgiveness for the ways that you have fallen short as a sinner and to ask God for direction in how to move towards repentance and forgiveness. And we celebrate that today with the Lord's Supper. And so let me describe to you how we're going to do it. I'm going to pass these down. The... Um, Elements that we'll pass out. I want you to hold them. We'll pass the bread out first. And if you